Hello and welcome to the Incredible Witness podcast. Today's episode is titled, The Clues We Miss. When you undertake a comprehensive parenting assessment, you gather a great deal of information in order to satisfactorily complete the assessment and answer your, question, your, your instructions. Sometimes, however, you can be so focused on the evidence you, you consider it is necessary to gather that you can miss other useful signs or clues along the way. When I was a children's guardian, I would regularly, during my perusal of the local authority records, be confronted with cases where children's services were provided with reports or referrals about the child, about the care children were being exposed to. Almost routinely, these referrals were investigated, but found to be unsubstantiated, resulting in the child or, or children remaining in environments and circumstances which it was discovered often years later were extremely harmful to them. When these children's lived experiences were explored and identified, it was frequently found to be the case that the reports and referrals had been genuine as opposed to malicious. Unfortunately, the professionals undertaking the investigations had failed or been unable to substantiate the reports made, and so the harm to the child or children was allowed to continue. Invariably, the parents and carers of the children had been able to somehow present a picture to professionals which had sufficiently satisfied any concerns that had arisen in connection with or as a result of the referrals. Children's services had then closed the case, and the way was once again clear for whatever harm the children were were experiencing to continue unabated until the next referral was made. In my experience as a children's guardian, This was a regular pattern that I observed frequently in the lives of many of the children I worked with. The frustrating thing was, I was always left with the feeling that surely this could have been prevented. But the parent and family had clearly chosen to do their best to pull the wool over the professional's eyes and had often been successful at doing so, albeit at the expense of their child's health and well-being. The problem was that most, if not all, of those parents or families generally weren't aware of the impact of their actions on their child's health and development. They simply lacked the insight to recognise the harm they were subjecting their children to. Not because they were uncaring, but instead because they themselves had never received a sufficient level of care when they were a child, and so didn't understand how important it was to offer their child a suitable standard of care as parents. This to me is exemplified by a case I worked on some three years ago. I had been instructed to undertake a parenting assessment of a mother to provide permanent care to her, child, to her 12-year-old son, who I shall refer to as Kay. The mother also had three older children. Her younger son, Kay, spent t- periods of time during his early childhood in the care of his father. It was alleged by a family support worker and a previous partner of Kay's father that he had a history of drug abuse, that he threatened Kay, aged age five months old at the time, roughly throwing him into his, his pushchair and had not provided him with a cot to sleep in, thus posing a risk of harm, a risk of, of him falling from the single bed he slept on to the floor. A further anonymous referral was received several months after the initial referrals. The father was alleged to be consuming both alcohol often, and leaving his son in the care of inappropriate people in order to get drugs. He was also said to shout and slap his son, and the home environment was unsuitable, 
as well as occasionally broken into due to the father owing debts to others. Two initial assessments were undertaken as a result of the referrals. However, the outcome of the assessments was that it was believed that the parents were able to offer their son a stable, safe home environment and that their child had a secure attachment to both of his parents. It was noted that Kay's mother at no time expressed any concern about the care he received when he spent time with his father, although during my interviews with her, she expressed concern about the physical state and cleanliness of the property. A couple of years later, Kay's father informed professionals that he had been consuming alcohol whilst his son was in his care. Two years later, one of the mother's other children, who was aged 12 at the time, caused a squire at her, at her school due to threatening to kill herself by self-harming and threatening to attack a peer. An initial child protection conference was convened due to concerns about the mother's ability to respond to her children's needs and protect them, giving her chronic depression, given her chronic depression and the father's substance misuse. All the children were placed on the child protection plans under the category of emotional abuse. Both of her, of her oldest two children displayed self-harming behaviour and expressed suicidal ideas. The oldest female child had also been sexually abused and exhibited sexualised behaviour. At the Review Child Protection Case Conference, it was felt that the mother had worked well with professionals and that progress had been made. As a consequence, the children were stepped down to child-in-need plans and seven months later, as, as professionals believed the family had been suitably supported, the case was closed. A strategy meeting was held a year later, when Kay informed social workers that his father had been kicking him, causing, him bruise, causing bruises to his foot. Kay's father subsequently signed a safeguarding agreement, promising to, to cease inflicting any type of harm to his son. Shortly afterwards, it was noted that Kay began displaying a a proclivity towards behaving in a violent, aggressive manner at home and at school. His mother was reported to be struggling to manage his behaviour, and following a child and family assessment, Kay was moved to live with his father. Concerns, though, continued about Kay's behaviour, together with considerable disquiet about the father's substance misuse and, and multiple mental health concerns, such as bipolar disorder, personality disorder, manic depressive disorder, anxiety and depression. Two years later, Kay's father admitted that he had, been, he had been experiencing problems with drug addiction since Kay was about four. Kay was once again placed on a child in need plan and a year and a half later, Kay was admitted to hospital due to having very high blood sugar level. His father was alerted to his condition, but his attendance was delayed due to falling asleep on the bus. Even when he arrived at the hospital, he appeared vacant and drowsy. A paediatrician noted that the father displayed an inability to act as an adequate parent to Kay, and in fact, it was observed that Kay assumed control over his father's actions and was seen to be acting as a young carer for his father. It was not long before Kay was returned to his mother's care. However, whilst living with his father, he was thought to have experienced domestic abuse between his father and his father's former partner. His father could not manage Kay's intake of insulin or ensure he attended school regularly and advised professionals that in a recent 
incident, Kay had threatened him by holding a knife to his throat. Shortly afterwards, Kay was returned to living with his mother, but around the end of that year, and an early January period, the police were alerted to mother's home on three occasions. Due to Kay threatening his mother with a knife, chasing her whilst wielding a knife, and assaulting his mother by punching and slapping her. As a result of one of the incidents, his sister, a couple of years older than him, self-harmed and was admitted to a mental health unit for assessment purposes. Kay was arrested for these incidents and informed professionals that he was entertaining the idea of jumping off a bridge and had self-harmed via, via causing a, a laceration to his wrist. Due to his aggressive and wiring behaviour, a month later his mother signed a Section 20 agreement allowing Kay to be placed in foster care following once again threatening her, threatening her with a knife. But the following month, after assaulting a support worker, he absconded from the foster care, from foster care and returned to his mother's home. His mother then, under pressure from him, withdrew her consent to the Section 20 agreement and the local authority were left with no option other than applying for care proceedings. During my interviews with Kay's mother, what emerged from me was the, was the following. Her childhood was one in which she was largely ignored and neglected. Domestic abuse was, la was a common feature she was exposed to. She was subjected to sexual abuse and never supported or encouraged to express her feelings. By her late teens, she became aware that she was suffering with depression and at 19, she first tried to commit suicide and was diagnosed with depression. It was clear to me that she loved Kay, felt guilty about not caring for him and wanted to, but after only a few questions admitted she was not able to meet his needs. With regard to the harm Kay had been subjected to, she was able to see the harm his father had exposed him to, but could not see how she had harmed him. All four of her children exhibited some degree of self-harming behaviour and entertained suicidal ideation. With the benefit of some probing and prompting from me, she was able to make sense of, given her childhood and the type of child Kay was, why she wouldn't she would struggle to meet particularly his emotional needs. As regards her older daughter's sexual abuse, she felt on the one hand guilty that she had not picked up picked up it was happening given that she herself had suffered abuse as a child and that her daughter had not disclosed the abuse to her. On the other hand, she reasoned that there had been no signs to raise her awareness of what was going on. Whilst discussing with the mother her sexual abusive experiences, it never occurred to me at the time to ask whether her mother and any of her sisters had experienced sexual abuse. It was only in hindsight that my thoughts were alerted to her eldest sister's response to her younger sister's abuse. She remarked, Oh, I thought he loved me most. Kay's mother had not experienced her elder sister's words as supportive, but what they suggested to me was that her elder sister had very possibly also been abused by the same perpetrator. As part of my assessment inquiries, I also spoke with one of Kay's siblings, a sister a couple of years older than him. She was very sensitive to her mother's needs. In the same way that Kay had displayed parentified behaviour towards his father, she displayed similar behaviour towards her mother. Again, it never occurred to me at the time to question whether she, like her older sister and her mother, and possibly aunt too, had been or was being subjected to sexual abuse. 
This case highlighted for me how professionals, given the pressures of the work they are engaged in, and given their finite resources, can and often are persuaded by parents to accept that children are being adequately cared for when they are not. They then close the case as quickly as possible to make room for what are considered to be more urgent cases. Kay's mother overlooked concerns about the care Kay was exposed to whilst in his father's care, choosing not to accept her responsibility in protecting him from harm and abuse. She was also unable to pick up on her daughter's sexual abuse and was insufficiently attuned to her daughter's thoughts, feelings and behaviour to recognise that her oldest daughter did not feel safe enough to tell her about the abuse she was being subjected to. Only in hindsight did I reflect on the real possibility that Kay's mother and aunts, as well as his maternal grandmother, may all have been exposed to child sexual abuse. Missing clues and signs is something that as human human beings we are all capable of doing. The willingness and ability to reflect on information gathered is thus of crucial importance to safeguarding and meeting the needs of children. Until next time. Thank you.